Welcome to another episode of the Classic Car Corner Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason Painter, along with John Lockhart and Eric Benzel. And tonight we welcome Mr. Philip Richter, president of Hollow Brook Wealth Management, located in Quintanoa, New York. He is uh, going to share with us his insights on the collector car market, how it is trending, and some road rallies he and his company have sponsored and participated in. So uh, welcome, Philip. We certainly appreciate you joining us here this evening. Great, great to be here, guys. Well, thank you. And I probably butchered the name of the city of which you are in. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's Katona. Katona. Okay, all right. Yeah. It's it's spelled a little differently, but uh, okay, sure Katona. Is. Now it, I know. It became it, it became famous because Martha Stewart moved to Katona, and she she tried to launch a linen line called the Katona, and the town revolted and sued her in court, and oh. I guess she wasn't able to use the name Katona. Oh, <laughs> so gotcha. We got a little bit of news. A little 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, and it also appears as if you have met John Nickus. Is that correct? Oh, I've known John for years. I've um, I've spoke on panels with him at Pebble Beach. Um, yep. And uh, he actually uh, does all the interviews at the Turtle Invitational, which is my uh, biennial show that I do every other year at my farm in Bedford, New York. Awesome. So I've, I go way back with John. Uh, gotcha. We've done some buy, sell, hold uh, podcast for sports car market and lots of things. He's a super guy and yep. uh, very, very good at uh, pulling information out of people in a professional and, uh, oh, sure. and, and relevant way. Yeah. Well, we were, we were fortunate to have John on our podcast about a year or so ago. And uh, just, uh, you know, as an automotive historian, he is just full of knowledge and uh, uh, he was off, uh, able to set us up with uh, Wayne Creaney, which uh, that was also another. Super. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot of fun. fun. So, yeah, yeah. Wayne, Wayne's a great guy too. I'm good friends with Wayne. Oh, are you really? Gotcha. He's gotcha. an icon in our industry. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Make no mistake about it. So, but um, well, okay. So obviously, just to, to start off, we're going to ask you know what sparked your passion for cars and how have you incorporated as an experienced uh, fiduciary uh, collector cars with your career. Yeah, I mean, I've always, um, ever since I was a young boy, I enjoyed things that were mechanical. I love the, the, the miracle, the many, many miracles that occur in an engine to make it run. It's like a symphony. Uh, mm -hmm. even, my, even my Honda 50 when I was seven years old, you know, I used to take it apart and put it back together. And, you know, an engine that simple, you know, also has a crankshaft. It has a camshaft. It has you know, an intake valve, an exhaust valve, right. a piston and rings and yeah. all the things that make an engine work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I've always been fascinated with, with machines, particularly motorized machines yeah. uh, that consume gasoline. Um, so I learned, you know, I learned about carburetors and, and how the whole thing works. And, and basically from a Honda 50 of my youth to a, a Packard V12 today, it's all the same thing. It hasn't changed a lot, right? Like uh, the engine today, uh, obviously not electric drive cars, but internal combustion engines, uh, sure, they've gotten more sophisticated and advanced and efficient, but the, the concept hasn't changed in 100 years. Really. Air spark. Whether it's a you know, yeah. push rod. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The push rod 
engine or an overhead valve engine. I mean, it's just a different right. variation of the same concept of opening and closing valves. So yep. I, you know, I, I just, I love equipment. I love machinery and the precision nature of vehicles, motorcycles, et cetera. Gotcha. And, and so yeah. now um, as a fiduciary, how, I know that you probably counsel people obviously on not only their, their wealth management, but are you, are you tweaking towards the collector car market with any of your clients, just out of curiosity? Well, we serve, we serve several uh, major clients who are, you know, in the collector car world in a big way and mm-hmm. have, you know, you know, hundred plus car collections. Gotcha. And yep. so, you know, we, we help our clients think about these asset classes when they think of their whole net worth and uh, the, the risks they have and high grading their portfolios. So yes, it's, it's a it's a wonderful advantage to be an interested party in the collector car universe and be in wealth management yep. and serve some of those clients sure. that own pretty significant collections and right. and and there's other things you know there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of breadth and scope to the collector car world you know fascinating people interesting vehicles great places to go and trips to make and rallies to do and car shows and so forth and organizations that are just doing amazing things i Mm -hmm. i I urge everyone on your podcast who listens to your show uh to visit the revs institute in naples florida uh it's a it's a truly extraordinary organization uh and i actually recently went on the advisory board of the revs institute which is the miles collier collections Mm -hmm. um some of the some of the finest uh, Grand Prix racing cars and vintage Porsches and and incredible pre-war post-war vehicles. Yep. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. So I mean, it's it's a it's a wonderful connection, and uh, you know, in my in my business life and my passion for cars have merged quite a bit over the last couple of years, and helping some of our clients deal with uh, disposing of collections after a death, for example, gotcha. which I did right. with the Malcolm Prey collection. I was the trustee and and uh, and fiduciary that sold his uh, beautiful car collection, gotcha. uh, and and was the trustee of his estate. So yes, it's yep. a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely, interesting. One of my favorite platforms viewing classic or collector cars is browsing through uh, Bring a Trailer and to see what is trending popularity and value. What is yeah. your opinion? And how has Bring a Trailer done well as compared to traditional auction houses? Well, I think Rand- Randy Nonnenberg uh, will go down in history as probably the biggest change agent the collector car world has ever seen before or since. Uh, in a sense, you know, he's the Steve Jobs uh, of the collector car world. He's changed, his company has changed the way we interact. He, he figured out how to use the internet in a useful and simple and intuitive way mm-hmm. uh, to create a community where there's a lot of trust built between buyers and sellers and particularly sellers that are serial sellers, you know, like on the eBay of old uh, people, people get a reputation on the site and their cars bring a bigger premium. So, right. you know, you, you look at Anthony Sarah at, at 1600 Veloce or Dean Lumbach those people sell cars at a much higher margin price quality level than other people do on any platform, not just bring a trailer. So you have this amazing ecosystem that's growing by leaps and bounds where there's a, a trusted community 
and a safe place to to transact. So people, you know, I mean, they're selling Duesenbergs on Bring a Trailer now, right? right? right they're right. selling they're selling nine fifty nine Porsches on Do, which on, is amazing. Uh, on Bring a Trailer, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah no. incredible. I mean, F forties and things of that sort. So th- this is just the beginning, I think. You know, I, I don't think the big auction houses are dead per se. I think you're still going to have, you know, the really special big ticket cars uh, that are one-offs or coming out of collections only mm-hmm. once every 30, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Those cars will probably go to Pebble Beach or to, you know, Amelia Island or, or other places. Mm-hmm. But there's no question that Randy Nonenberg, uh, you know, his site has has really changed the game for the better. And it's made it's made the, the whole universe global. It's lifted all the prices, uh, which is both good and bad, obviously, because now you, you can't even buy a Toyota Supra now for under fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> right? Um, no, it's so, true. no, you're right. You know, yeah. So, yeah. So it's a good, it's a double-edged sword for sure. But on the whole, you know, hard to argue. It's been a wonderful renaissance for the collector car world, and, mm-hmm. and obviously, COVID had a huge impact on bring a trailer in a positive way, as people were you know, stuck in their homes, homes. losing loved yep. ones, thinking about, Hey, you know what? I need to live from live this life. And I'm going to buy that Corvette ZR one right. uh, to, to hell with it. Right. Sure. Damn yeah. all convention. Right. Right. Yeah. Definitely and, gave and, you and a, so a different there's perspective. There's probably a lot of very angry wives out there, of, <laughs> you know, who have been subjected to the, 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 uh, addictive buy it, buy it now, click here, uh, nature of bring a trailer. Right. Uh, but I'm excited about it. I think it's a great thing. It's a great, it's a great, um, tool oh yeah game changer yeah i think jason's wife's one of those <laughs> yes i'm yeah. sure yeah, exactly. i think right. the word's concerned <laughs> she's a concerned <laughs> yeah, exactly. spouse of a uh, collector car owner every That's time right. we go out to a car show she always leaves by saying or lets us leave by saying no more <laughs> <laughs> one yeah, more no car more. i promise no right? more <laughs> There you go. Well, you know, uh, Philip, you had mentioned a couple times the word trusted, which, you know, bring a trailer in any site uh, from RM to Barrett Jackson, Meekum, uh, you know, but, you know, a lot of people are skittish, especially with this kind of price points, you know, of, of being scammed. What are, are there any feelers out there in your experience that you can tell if you're bidding up against the Coca-Cola machine? You know, I, I don't think – I mean, certainly every auction, uh, you know, is susceptible to fraud. Uh, everything in life is susceptible to fraud. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Theranos and these things that have happened in the investment world, um, Bernie Madoff, et cetera. But on the whole, I think Bring a Trailer has done a really good job at, at actually having bona fide transactions and bona fide users. And I think that's a function of – the self-policing mechanism where people can post comments about a car, even if they're not even bidding, mm-hmm. right. even if they're not really interested. Sometimes those comments are off point and, and not really relevant, but most of them are. And most of the people on Bring a Trailer are, are truly enthusiasts. And that's what Randy's secret sauce is, right? You've got mm-hmm. a community of passionate people that want to interact. They may want to transact, but many of them just want to interact because of why? Because it's entertainment. It's fun going on Bring a Trailer. It's better than watching Succession, you know, and watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, and it becomes true. a sport. And so I, I think that it's, uh, you know, I think the fraud thing is minimal. I mean, certainly there's going to be bad actors out there. But, but you know, rest assured, Bring a Trailer is tough on people who do not come through with their transaction, refuse to pay, or post, you know, inappropriate comments they there's consequences on bringing trailer mm-hmm. right yep. now speaking and they of, enforce them 
Oh, absolutely. And I, and I just thought of something when you were talking about that, as far as, you know, the honest transactions, they have built trust up in the, in just basically all buyer community. Just for opinions perspective, do you think that the buyers and sellers on Bring a Trailer are going to, are helping to regulate how far the inflated price of some of these used cars are going? Where some of the comments went, going, yeah, you probably don't need to ask $35,000 for a forerunner with 380,000 miles on it. Maybe yeah, there's some ridiculous things going there, There's some ridiculous things going on out there, right? It's like mm-hmm. there, there's obviously people uh, are up too late and have had too much to drink or whatever <laughs> they're doing. And, and they, the next morning they wake up and say, oh, my God, what have I done? Um, but, but, you know, it's a market. So mm-hmm. markets can be inefficient, you know for longer than you can remain solvent as the old saying goes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the price is the price. It's what another buyer is willing to pay at that moment in time. So we have to always remember that as, as ludicrous as some of these prices may seem, I mean, the, the $75,000 Honda civic SI with 6,800 miles on it, um, got to scratch your head at that. But, but, but then you got to think, there's a huge market for that car, mm-hmm. right? The Japanese, the Japanese uh, enthusiasts are, are multiplying and growing in numbers. And, and why? Because they're actually fun cars to drive. They're well-engineered. They're really well-styled, even starting with the 240Z all the way up to the Supras. Like, so, you know, it, markets, markets, it's just like a tulip mania, right, in, in Holland, mm-hmm. you know, what, 1500s. <laughs> These things come and go. Uh, but ultimately, it's the market that's dictating these prices. That's right. The value of the value of anything is what somebody's willing to pay for it. For it. That's right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think there's some other things going on here. And I don't want to get I don't want to get yeah. down the rabbit hole of the investment world. But I think when the Federal Reserve prints ten trillion dollars and leaves interest rates at zero for ten years, uh, you have massive distortions in the market. You have misallocation of capital. I mean, there's a lot of things that have been built in China that never should have been built. Right. There's a lot mm-hmm. of things that have been built in America or invested in that are complete failures. But money was very cheap for so long. Money was, you know, way che- you know lower than the growth rate. Uh, interest rates were way lower than the growth rate of the actual economy, which which makes things heat up a lot. So we're we're now on the backside of that. And it'll be very interesting to see as the Fed raises rates here. You know, do some of these auctions stall? Mm-hmm. Do we start getting more no sales? Do we start seeing prices come in? And, and moderate. And I think my answer is yes. I think you're going to start seeing that. If I knew 25 years ago what my CRX SI would pull today, I wouldn't have sold it for $750. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yes. All right. So yes, o- over, the sure. past, over the past decade, uh, collector car values have exceedingly increased, giving their uniqueness and rarity. And we may have touched on this a little bit, but in your opinion, what do you think potential buyers need to take into consideration before when, when they're looking at classics and the new classics, I mean, t- Toyota Tercels or Toyota Celicas from our generation growing up in the late 80s, and yep. 90s, those are now collector cars. And MR2 I mean, is a I mean, what is, a, what is an all-track, you know, what is an all-track Celica worth today? Like in 87, 88, like, you know, well, that's, a, that's a high dollar car if it's in good condition. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, to answer the question, I think it, it, it really depends on the, buy, on the buyer, right? Mm-hmm. Some people... Some people want to own a collector car to use it, and they don't care if it has 70, 80, 90, 250,000 miles. They just want to enjoy it. 
other people like myself, you know, like to own investment grade cars, mm -hmm. cars that the Dow Jones is at 35,000 or 15,000. You still own the best car you can in that category for the money you have. Right. right. And that's way in my mind and thinking of the investment world, we always talk in our, you know, in our investment committee meetings about margin of safety and margin of safety is basically just a complicated way of saying, you know, make sure that you don't overpay for something. Because if you do, you could really get caught uh, when the tide goes out and, and you don't want to be in that position. But in the car world, if you own the best, right, if you own the best Toyota Celica from 1987-88, chances are, regardless of what the market does, there's going to be a bid for that car. And maybe you might have to wait a year or two, but there'll be a bid for that car because mm -hmm. it's a good one and it's, it's a rarity. And maybe they made 100,000 of them. But how many are left? Like, right. go find another. Like, right. go find another 5,000 mile, you know, Toyota Celica all track. Forget it. Yeah. Well, and, so, and, and you know, Philip, on the topic of, of the JDM cars, I, I've got I've got two of them now. One of them's a, a 280Z. It's a 2 plus 2. It's a 77 model. And the other one, if yeah, I know you'll know this, it, it's an Isuzu Impulse. And uh, it's not. Oh, the, my God, of course. Yeah. Well, the, well, so mine is the first year of the second gen. Mine's got a little bit more General Motors blood into it. Uh, but you don't see them. There were 600 purportedly titled in, this, in the States back in 2017 when I bought this car. It's got sub 50,000 miles, Arizona car, and uh, no rust. And a little car, I mean, it. It's fuel efficient. It's fun to drive. Handling by Lotus badges. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool car. I, <laughs> right. I remember when that car came out, handling by Lotus. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very yeah. unusual. Isuzu was a very unusual company at that time. They made a lot of off-the-run oddball cars. They did. Yeah, like the well, the Amigo and the Axiom yep. and the uh, – yeah, you're exactly right. But, but you know, on the top – on the topic of JDM, uh, I guess, you know, do you see the values and popularity of those cars still going up? And, and what, what do you think is the most sought after JDM currently out of curiosity? I, I mean, I, I think, I think, yes, I think we're in the beginning stages of the JDM phase. I think it's going to go a lot longer than people expect. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's, it's, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the thing about Jap, you know, not just JDM, but also U.S. Japanese cars, right, that were for the U.S. market. I think they're, they've got a long road ahead of them as well. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, like a, a, a JDM Skyline, right? Oh, right. That's just the yeah. holy grail. But but these these cars are really well engineered. They're very distinctive in their styling. And they're comparatively rare. Why? Because in that era, they were consumed. Right. Mm -hmm. People didn't save that car and say, oh, I'm going to put away this, know, is this is Izu impulse. Yep. I'm yep. going to use it up. And or mm -hmm. they were leased and they were turned back in on a lease, whatever it is. So, you know, it's the old it's the old rule. Just because a car has a high total production rate doesn't mean it's not rare. Right. Uh, because find another is Izu impulse with under 50,000 miles that has arizona history right probably not out there. right good 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 luck with <laughs> right. that. Yeah, right? exactly. that's probably not going to happen so right now with bring a trailer if you want to sell that car you know you have that thing dry iced and you have it ceramic mm -hmm. coated yeah and you have a really good photographer do a great job and you sort it properly and you put it on bring a trailer right i think you'd be shocked you'd be shocked at what that car would bring right and, right. and, and philip just just for our listening audience when you said dry iced i know what it is but you might want to you, if you want to elaborate on what dries, yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm a I'm a huge I'm a huge fan 
uh, of dry ice. Um, there's a gentleman who's really the, the leader in this named Scott Ailes uh, in Dreis, Dreis Nation is the name of his company. And he put me onto this early. He's in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's dry ice is the kind of thing you, you have to believe it to see it. It okay? brings it brings. It, yeah, go ahead. It's Sorry. it's it's extraordinary what it does. Um, I have a I have a I have a 17,000 mile E30 M3 1988. I had it dry iced. And when it's on the lift, it is it is shocking and indistinguishable from new from an undercarriage perspective. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. for those cars, you really want to keep and preserve that you're only going to drive on a really good day. Right. Uh, Scott Ailes just did my 190E 16 valve Cosworth, uh, which, which is like a mid 20,000 mile car mm-hmm. on the second owner. And, you know, it was mint condition, so clean, no paintwork, perfect. And Scott took it and had it for a month and the car came back to me and I just, it's just, Rock it dead. is, like, yeah, and, right. and it's just insane. And I think it, I think it added twenty thousand dollars to the value. Of the car. I pro- it probably did. And yeah, I've watched you some know? YouTube videos of the dry ice, and it's like holy cow. I mean, and who would have thought? Yeah. But the realities are, it it, it, it works. So we, I mean, there are a lot of cars that were restored on the undercarriage to get the effect that dry ice can get out of a hundred thousand mile car. car. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. There you go. Right. And, and it's 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 fascinating. And I think also on a bigger level, I I've recently dived dove into the pre the pre-war car world which i i strongly urge more people to do because if you really love the engineering of automobiles the 30s was this incredible era of an event innovation that that hasn't been seen since mm-hmm. um but but the the thing that's really interesting i think a lot of 30s cars people just don't want to drive these cars because you get the undercarriage dirty then it's like a huge issue but now with dry ice um it, you know dry ice is very gentle to the paint and to the cosmoline and to everything that's underneath mm-hmm. the car. Yep. So, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more thirties cars, pre-war cars being used once dry ice becomes more prevalent oh, yeah, because, you. you know, if you've got a, if you've got a, you know, million dollar Packard and you take it on a tour and it gets filthy uh, because it rained and the road was muddy or whatever, it's kind of no big deal. Yeah. Yep. No big deal. Yep, that's true. Where is it used to? Where it used to be a problem? Like, how do you clean something like that really correctly? Right, right. You, you, you kind of don't. You do, you just don't. You use hoses and water, and you make a mess, and you get things wet, and you hurt the paint. You gotta you gotta get a toothbrush in there, and you're scratching things, and it <laughs> don't really. I mean, exactly. it's just a, a miracle. This is a this is a big leap for the collector car industry, and I think it's at its nascent stage. And and again, not to uh, not to run a commercial here, but. Um, you know, Scott Ailes really has this figured out. Mm-hmm. Well, and that also helps the preser- preservation of these cars, turning them on, rolling them around a little totally. bit. Keep some of these pieces lubricated and moving and articulating because yes. if you don't, they dry. That's right. and when they dry, you got to replace it. Mm-hmm. And that original yep. piece, yep. it now sits in a baggie in the trunk. You still have the original part, yep. but to drive it, you had to got yep. to work yep. it. It's true. For sure. So most classic cars yeah. are an appreciating asset. Uh, with that being said, and this being such a niche market, what's the best way to see a return on a collector car and items uh, in terms of an investment? 
So I'm. I mean, we kind of touched the on right the dry guy. icing, which is yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm I'm kind of the wrong person to ask because I really believe there's there's a really uh, amazing woman who just died. She was over a hundred years old. She was a big art collector, and her her name was Emily Fisher Landau. And I was reading her obituary in the New York Times. She was, you know, an un an unprofessionally educated uh, art collector. She she never had any formal training, and she, her quote in the New York Times said something like this. She said, I've never collected something because it was fashionable. It was always about what I instinctively liked. And so hmm. I think there's a lot of people who are going to get in trouble in the car world because they're buying cars as investments. And that's fine if you're a dealer and you're, you've got inventory turn and you know a buyer who wants that 300ZX or that you know Ferrari 328 or whatever it is. But – you know, you need to buy what you love and what stirs your soul. And it's that simple. And then I think the best advice I could give is buy the best car you can afford and maintain it really well, right. whether it's dry icing it, whether it's ceramic coating, whether it's, you know, proper service intervals, whatever it is, do it and enjoy it mm -hmm. and take it and show it and show it to kids. Like a lot, let kids sit in it and drive with you because that's like, one of the greatest things we could all be doing in our industry is to get more kids involved and excited about the automobile. Um, but I don't think owning cars as investments, uh, I, th I think it's a great thing to own cars. And I think you want to own cars that will appreciate. So don't get me wrong. Like I'm not, I'm not advocating buying something that's a write-off, but I think first and foremost, you got to have in your mind owning something that you instinctively like mm -hmm. and that you're passionate about. And if you do that and you buy the right car, whether it's getting the right advice from somebody who knows that mark really well, you know, and you buy the best car you can afford, you're not going to lose money on that. You're just not like there's just the very low odds of losing money on that. So that would be my advice to anyone who thinks about investing in cars. Um, don't think about it as investing. Think about it as love, as passion, as a great way to connect to other like-minded people, right. which, yep. which by the way, like, Forget about the cars. Like the best thing of this industry is the connecting to people who are like-minded and have similar tastes or yep. different tastes or meeting people at car shows or cars and coffees or rallies. I mean, you know, I've, I've met some of the most fascinating people I've ever come across in my life through the car and motorcycle world mm -hmm. because there's a different – it's just a different type of person who's passionate about these things. I agree. Right? Yep. That's right. And so to me, it's like the real value I've gotten is investing in meeting people and building friendships and networks in the car world. It's not the cars themselves, mm -hmm. which is ironic. Uh, and, you know, and when Wayne Carini was on our show, he said, you know, the one thing that crosses all barriers is a love of automobiles because it doesn't matter your economic status or what have you. If you love cars, yep. you can talk cars across the board. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I'll give you an example of this uh, at my show, uh, the Turtle Invitational, which, you know, a little commercial break here, September 23rd and 24th in uh, Bedford, New York this year. We, we had uh, in 2021, we do the show every other year and we have class awards. So, you know, best Italian uh, car went to Peter Sachs's 
um, Ferrari TR, mm-hmm. which was the Phil Hill car that won Le Mans in 1961. Oh, right. Wow. So yeah. the only driver, the only American driver to ever drive for Ferrari before or since was Phil Hill. And this car was, you know, manhandled around Le Mans at ridiculous speeds by him and won the race. And here it's sitting on the podium winning the award. So, you know, I don't know, is that a $50 million car or $60 million? I mean, Who knows if he even has a price. Right. Mm-hmm. But the next car that won bet that won best German car, was a 1958 VW Beetle that was completely original, fully patinaed, and owned by this this lovely woman from Ferriccia Brothers in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is an air-cooled repair shop that's 100 years old. Mm. And, you know, she's beaming, you know, grinning ear to ear well, and course. just happy as could be. Right. But the interesting thing is the crowd of 800 people that were there clapped just as much for the Beetle as they did for the Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. And, nice. and, and what mattered was the passion, right? And, and the story behind the car right. and the history. And That's it was all true. original. And yep. Malcolm Prey sold it at his dealership in 1958 and you right. know, the whole thing. Wow. And so – this is that's exactly right like it it doesn't matter what the price of the car is you can you can connect with people at any social economic or political level whatever it is it transcends all of that i mean look even even george bush when george bush was president he drove putin's lada that's right uh, if you remember that i don't think it was his lada it was the the more luxury version of a russian car i forget what it was called but you know putin let george bush drive it you know, and they have a picture of the two of them driving out of the Kremlin in, in his collector car. Oh, this is, this car. is so, Lada Plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Corinthian leather. Uh, exactly. <laughs> this is the Alada Lada. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Alada Lada. Nice. Yeah. Well, and, and so, you know. No, that's all very true. Well, and what, what you see is on that awards display there is everybody's going crazy about this very rare, historic, race-winning Ferrari. And then you see everybody apply, uh, just going nuts for the Beetle that almost everybody's been in. So you've got a different connection to that, like mm. you were saying. It, it's yeah, really totally, equally totally cool right. to see a Ferrari and that an old beat-up Beetle come through there as well. And everybody, everybody like having the like same it. affinity That's right. and appreciation for it. It's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah, and I mean, in our case, okay, it was a little bit interesting because it's our, our the, the Turtle Invitational benefits the Malcolm Prey Foundation in uh, – Bedford, New York, which is uh, we, we have a, a 501c3 charity that, that works with younger, underprivileged kids to mm-hmm. teach them about entrepreneurial pursuits. But the interesting thing is that car was sold by Malcolm Prey at Blanchard Prey Automobile in Greenwich in 1958, I think. Wow. And so, yeah. you know, it's it was a Prey car that was sold by Prey, you know, 60 something years ago. And uh, and here we are honoring Malcolm Prey with this car show and benefiting his foundation. So, yeah. you know, it, it's a story. Cars with stories are just the coolest thing. The mm-hmm. the, the patina, the, the 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 history. I think that's something that um, you know, for me anyway, is super important. Yep, I agree. Well, let's expand on that. Let's hear more about the ex- experiential rallies, uh, where you've been, and about the more about the Turtle Rally, Hollow Brook has sponsored yeah so i you know i think that uh i think that the future of the collector car world is actually more interactive as as we move digital and everything becomes virtual there's a whole lot of people who really want to get oil on their hands and actually drive their their cars and experience the roads and and do fun trips and you know these older cars don't do well on a highway 
right? But they sure do well on back roads through New York State or, you know, some beautiful something like that mm -hmm. or the Colorado Grand or something of that sort. And so, you know, I, I think that there's going to be an increasing movement towards uh, rallies where you can have camaraderie, you have, you know, dinners together and you share the experiences. Oh, it rained and I couldn't get the roof down on my car, you know, up on yeah. my car. <laughs> you know, you have all these, you know, my, 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 my Duesenberg broke down and, you know, all this stuff that, uh, that Duesenbergs never break down, but you know, it, it's, it's a very fun thing to do. And so what we decided to do in the off year of the turtle invitational, cause it's, it's just too much work to put on these shows and do it right to have it every year, mm -hmm. I think. And I took a page out of Miles Collier's book with the uh, Revs symposium that he does at the Revs Institute every other year. And I decided to make our show every other year. But what we've instant, what we've uh, instituted is a rally uh, which is limited to 30 cars. And uh, last year we went up to Cooperstown, New York. We were hosted by Jane Clark, who's the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, a longtime nice. friend of mine. Okay. And she she rolled out the red carpet. We stayed at the Otazaga Hotel. We had beautiful cars there. We had young people, older people, men, women, everything, dinners, uh, awards presentations. It's just a lovely, lovely rally. And again, you know, meeting great people. And so I, I expect we're going to do that again next year. Uh, I think we may head up to uh, Buzz Cantor, just bought a, a really fabulous new hotel uh, up in uh, Manchester, Vermont. So I think we're going to he all head up there. But, you know, there's there's so much to do uh, with actually interacting with our cars and, and using them where they're meant to be used. And and, you know, there are some people on our tour that had pre-war cars who drove, you know, old, old cars on a, on these rallies and mm -hmm. no problem. They made it and did the trip. And that actually leads me to what did you drive in the rally and can anyone participate in the rally? So I didn't participate per se as a competitor because okay. I was the host. Gotcha. But I, um, I actually drove, I have a, uh, a 1995 uh, W140 Mercedes Coupe, a S600 V12 Coupe. Nice. Right. And I drove that car because uh, I wanted to have something a little bit modern uh, as kind of a chase sweep vehicle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a, in my mind, that is the, the end of the road of the Mercedes quality that was just mm -hmm. otherworldly. And it's a V12 and it's a big, huge, hulking car. Uh, very, very uh, technologically advanced for its age right. and beautiful to drive. So I, I drove that car, which was fun. I, I actually was going to drive my Packard 12, and um, I was having some issues uh, with the wiring harness, so I, I ended up taking the Mercedes. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, sounds like a great car. Uh, earlier, uh, you mentioned uh, the young 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 kids or young younger folks getting into the collector Seen? Are you seeing young timers interested in these rallies? And if so, what kind of oh, car? Yeah. What kind of cars do you, they seem to be most interested in? So there's there's a young young man on our rally, uh, Cam Luther, who's actually now a graduate or soon to be a graduate of McPherson College. Which I know you know about McPherson, uh, which is the only four year accredited college degree in auto restoration, and it's an incredible school based in McPherson, Kansas. And uh, McPherson is graduating students who are highly trained in automotive restoration. Uh, they go to shops like Paul Russell's shop, like they'll end up at places like Paul Russell and Company uh, or, or other high-end restoration shops. And so they're teaching these trades that, that people 
you know, that, that could be lost to the future if we don't, if we don't keep young people educated on this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, we, young, young people, uh, Cam drove a, he drove a, I think a 57 speedster that was completely original beat up patinaed car, phenomenal car. Um, but I think, you know, the younger generations really love those, you know, mid eighties Volkswagen GTIs mm-hmm. or the, the, the Japanese cars we talked about. Um, I think there's a, a, a little higher end, uh, you know, not, not, not super young, but a middle-aged and younger people who are, you know, really passionate about some of these one-off very oddball things like the Mercedes 500 E when Porsche collaborated with Mercedes and built the super sedan. Um, those types of cars I think are of interest to some of these younger people, um, like myself, although I'm rapidly no longer young, um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I think there's a, there's a whole bevy of, of options. I mean, Japanese cars, German cars, Swedish cars, I mean, the Saab turbos, if you've seen what Saab turbos are doing, 900 turbos on bring a trailer are just going through the roof because they're quirky, cool cars. And right. actually even today, in today's world, you could get on a Saab 900 turbo SPG and you can get in the left lane and hammer it and keep <laughs> up with modern traffic. Yeah, they were cool cars um, when we were young. Oh, yeah. For sure. Right. Go, go, oh, yeah. Go. And many, many of these cars have ABS and airbags. Yes, they do. Right. Uh, you're talking to a former Saab owner and a Volkswagen owner and a Honda. Yeah. I've owned every car that now pulls in a lot of money. If I could just not break them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know, as far as kids getting interested in this, and by kids, uh, since all of us in this room are in our 50s, 50, 50s now. Yeah. I'll say kids, but the young adults out there, would you say that some of the appeal to come out to the cars and coffee and come to the rallies and see these is it would some of these YouTube channels where you have also younger guys that have gotten into cars have done well, grown these car collections and are just having these YouTube channels are also helping to generate interest where they see these things on the channel and they're coming out to the cars and coffee or the rallies to say, I want to see this in person. I want to see what this guy's oh, driving yeah. in person now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I have a my best friend from high school. His son, uh, Lucas Candy, he he's one of the most passionate, most interested young people I've ever seen. You know, in into the car world, he's I think he's just sixteen, fifteen. He can't drive yet, so he's fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this guy has a Instagram handle, Connecticut Car Spottings, and all he does is. He goes around the country. I mean, he's in Florida or Connecticut. He hangs out on Greenwich Avenue and he photographs cars. He spots cars. And he's so passionate about this. And uh, it's really great. And I think I think part of what's ignited his passion is, you know, these cars and coffees that are popping up all over the country on weekends. And uh, they're really great. They're a great way to kind of showcase some great metal. Yeah, there's... Yeah. Uh, we we've definitely seen some interesting uh, cars at our cars and coffee oh, here oh, yeah. uh, no in doubt. Louisville. Uh, <laughs> some very unique paint schemes. Yep, uh, exactly. No doubt. Have you ever seen a Porsche 911 painted like the General Lee? <laughs> <laughs> we have one here in can't, Kentucky. Can't say I have. We have one here in Louisville. And I, have. I have to admit, it's pretty badass. <laughs> no doubt. You're not going to forget it. That's for sure. That is for sure. <laughs> So, so Philip, I I know we've got a lot of content here and uh, uh, just a couple more questions here, obviously, because this this is absolutely a fantastic interview with you. So thank you again. But um, tell us about the Turtle Garage, uh, how it got its name um, and and what its initiative is. 
Well, Turtle Garage is is my own private garage. Um, it's it's really uh, just a hobby, and uh, it started um, in the mid uh, when was it two thousand five. I was asked by uh, a good friend of my part, my business partner, and the chairman of Hollowbrook. I was asked by uh, a good friend of his to join uh, in drilling a, an oil and gas well in southern Louisiana. And the well was a very high risk completion. It was a vertical well. I think it was a 14 or 15,000 foot completion. Very highly unlikely to work, but they, they saw through seismic a very big deposit down there and they went for it. And, you know, the CEO of the company offered me a 1% uh, interest in the well. And I thought, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I can learn something and you get a tax write off. If the well is unproductive, you can write off your total drilling intangible drilling costs against your income. Okay. So it's not a bad deal. No. So, you know, I just, I said, sure, I'll do it. And, you know, guys, this guy, Charlie Goodson, is just an unbelievable guy and has a nose for, you know, like a, like a bloodhound to find oil and gas is amazing. Uh, he and his team. But anyway, uh, about four months later, I'm in my office and he calls me and he said, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah, I'm at my desk. He says, swimming pools and movie stars. <laughs> and uh, I didn't quite understand what he meant. And he goes, we hit, a, we hit one of the largest onshore deposits of natural gas in Louisiana in history. No kidding. Wow. Yeah, and That's it was awesome. in the Turtle Bayou field. And so the, the investment that I the, – the small investment I made into, tur- into the Turtle Bayou uh, well ended up being uh, enough to help me build a garage at my family farm in Bedford and begin my collecting habit. And that's why I named it Turtle Garage is after this oil field uh, discovery that I was involved in. Isn't that cool? Very cool. Very cool. And, and, and all of that is just it comes down to literally just dumbass luck. Right. Right. And right. It, I, it was just dumb luck. Like, and, <laughs> and great people and very, you know, being around the right people helps. And these guys were experts, but still just, just luck. And so I've been really grateful to, to have that opportunity and um, learned a lot in the process and, you know, I've built a, you know, a nice, modest collection of fun uh, cars and motorcycles. Gotcha, gotcha. So, what are yeah. do you, what's on your bucket list to to buy? Do you have a bucket list car that you're looking to get into? You know, I I I can't say I really do at the moment. I mean, I think um, you know, I think that uh, the nine fifty nine would be you know a real holy grail car for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some, someday I, I kick myself cause I, I was with Malcolm Frey in 2001 at Amelia Island and I bid on a 1700 kilometer silver 959. And when it went over $220,000, I chickened out and it hammered for 230. Oh, wow. And now what is that a $2 million car probably yep. now? Um, so, uh, I missed that opportunity, but I, I would love to have a 959. Um, I, I am very drawn. I don't really love Ferraris. I'm not a Ferrari guy, but I am very drawn to two particular Ferraris uh, on the different end of the spectrum. One being the 288 GTO, the 1985 GTO, yep. uh, and, and the other being uh, actually just a, a basic 550 Marinello, which I think is a lovely car, mm, uh, yeah. a blue blue Marinello. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- th- those are kind of the cars on my bucket list. I mean, I... I I, I dove into the pre-war world. I always wanted to own a Packard for mm-hmm. 25 years. My father took me to a car show when I was about 11 years old. And it was just a little sleepy car show at the Poundridge Reservation in Bedford, New York. 
And uh, I remember seeing the pa- a packer there. And the only reason I remember it is because the wheel hub had the hexagonal uh, red logo and it said, you know, Packard Motor Car Corporation, Detroit, Michigan. And I just remembered that the running boards went on forever and it was just this <laughs> giant bombastic Phaeton and just huge car. And I've always wanted a Packard since then. And I finally scratched that itch about two years ago when I bought, uh, I bought a beautiful uh, 1933 Dietrich Victoria V12 that has unassailable bulletproof history from new and with the Vanderbilt family. Oh, wow. Uh, Beautiful. An incredible, an incredible piece. And it was lovingly restored in a 7,000 hour restoration before I purchased it and went to Pebble and won its class in 2016. And, you know, just a wonderful car. And, um, and so, you know, I don't think in the pre-war world, I I don't really have aspirations to own a Duesenberg. I don't Mm. really have aspirations to own a coach built, you know, Packard or a, coach built uh you know um you know a uh pierce arrow or something of that sort but i i love the packard i have and um so yeah i mean i just i love what i own and i love what other people own which is really fun i mean I, it never gets old to go to the revs institute and just look at all these cars that miles has amassed over mm-hmm. the decades and it's it's fun because you don't have to own something to love it right that's right yeah, yeah. but it's always nice to be able to go in there and when you look at that packard and go you get to pinch yourself and go, that's mine. That's mine. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. And it's also fun. I, you know, I take it uh, in the summers. I take it to the farmer's market in Bedford, which is right next to Martha Stewart's house. So it's, it's quite an affair. <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, hoity-toity people there. And I roll in in the Packard and it, it literally causes like a pandemonium. Like people just, people just don't realize that cars like that exist or, or were ever built. You know, people are not car enthusiasts like we are they just can't get their head around it because it's so big and so majestic mm-hmm. and so beautiful. And it doesn't, and it sounds like a Tesla because you can't hear a V12 Packard running. They're silent. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. A lot very, of fun. Very regal vehicle. No doubt. <clears throat> yeah. And fun though. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. really great to drive. And I, I really urge people to look back into the, you know, the, even the brass era cars are just, they're just total miracles of, of the moment then of the innovation that was happening at the turn of the century and mm-hmm. into the twenties and thirties. Yep. Yep. Beautiful so. vehicles. Well, Philip, it's time for me to ask a question that I've asked a couple other, I've asked everybody that's been on our show from uh, John Nickus to Wayne Carini to Mauro Andretti. And now you, when you took your driver's test, what car did you, t- did you drive for your driver's test? So when I took my driver's test, I drove a 1986 Suzuki Samurai. Oh, the Samurai. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I had a Samurai, and I love that car. In fact, I'm looking for one. Speaking of bucket list cars, if you guys ever come across a, a really nice condition Samurai, I'd be in the market. Well, you well, know, to define nice, but, yes, I think we could right? probably help you with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, a U.S. car, right? I bought mm-hmm. – I was had one of the earlier U.S. versions, and uh, – it, it was it was a really fun car, terrible car as a first car for a teenager. I don't know what my parents were thinking. <laughs> well, Top heavy, you know, yeah, very mm-hmm. thin metal, not right. safe, right? The whole thing. <laughs> but my parents were really cool. They let me kind of you know find my own way in life. And wonderful. Um, I had that Samurai. It was great. I had it. It was brand new and it had a soft top and yeah. a lot of fun. It was a fun car. And boy, those things will go anywhere. They really anywhere. will. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, and, yep. and you're right. I mean, I've been watching the samurai market actually, and and they're on the up and up. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw one yeah. that was, um, I guess it was painted in rhino lining. Uh, it, I mean, the whole wow. And yeah, it, it, but it was it, it wasn't black. It was gray. It was actually quite nicely done. But um, yeah, yeah, I remember those cars. They're 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 pretty cool. That's for sure. Yeah, you don't see any. Cool. You don't see. You don't see them. <laughs> you don't see them anymore. Nope. Or, that or the nope, geo trackers. Well, they got a bad rap from the NA, the Highway Institute by saying they they just roll over. I'm like, well, yep. if you if you don't drive, that, that's them. right. That's right. They did. They did get a bad rap, and mine was never really unstable. I mean, I think you just you know people drive like idiots, and then they get a bad rap. Um, yeah, yeah. But, it, it's when they lifted the short wheelbase cars. What you know? Yep. Uh, that, exactly. That, that and the Isuzu Trooper had a bad. Um, you know, yes. you, you, you swerve over 40 miles an hour on that car, you're, you're top heavy on it, too. But yeah. If you do that in a yes. Wrangler, if you do it in a pickup truck, right. you do it in any... Uh... Right. I mean, hell, if you do it in a Range Rover, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> right. Yes, you will. That is true. That's exactly <laughs> you know? right. Well, Philip, this has been an absolutely great conversation. What a pleasure having you here this evening. And um, I'd like to uh, obviously thank Edward Lopez for uh, coordinating this podcast with us. We've had a great time with you. Where might people find uh, information about um, you and, and um, um, your, your information you put on the Turtle? Yeah, so you can if you go to uh, turtlegarage.com, that's my, my okay. website, my blog, gotcha. my blog site, and you can go to turtleinvitational.com to learn more about our biennial car show, which is coming up this September. It's going to be an absolute blowout. We we have an unbelievable list of cars coming. Uh, we've got some of the top collectors in the country uh, bringing cars. Okay. Um, we've already we've already. Um, pretty much source the whole field already. We only take a hundred cars. We limit it to 700 tickets of spectators similar to the quail um, that we want it, but we want it to be more inclusive if we can. Gotcha. And, um, and so that's turtleinvitational.com. And then uh, my wealth management firm, Hollowbrook uh, wealth management is at hollowbrookllc.com. And there you can find a, a whole host of stuff that we've written about markets and, um, a little bit about what we do for families, foundations, and balance and individuals on the investing side. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, again, buddy, this has been a fantastic show. Thank you so much. We'd like to have you back if you're ever interested in joining us again here in the next six months to a year. It's always good to, uh, yeah, rekindle yeah I would and- love to, yeah, I would love to talk, would talk again and I really enjoyed it. And yeah. there were some really, really thoughtful questions. Well, thank you. Well, it's always fun to, to, to ask them and, and hear the stories. Cause you know, we're, we're all gearheads here at this table and it's always fun to uh, learn more. So uh, anyhow, uh, we certainly appreciate your time. We happy motoring and thanks for joining us here at the classic car corner podcast. One hand on the wheel. Pedal to the floor. River up on red, cut her loose on green. Quarter mile suits my style. She's one hell of a machine. Old classic car on the corner. Lord, you make me cry. Wish you would let me be instead of Tom. Every time I 
in my dreams I'll drive you in my dreams Drive